welcome back to the podcast. I think we're up to episode six now. Maybe. Not too know. sure. Uh, episode, we'll call it episode six. Um, finally, f- third time appearance for Leah. We finally got you on. Yes. <laughs> After some technical difficulties. Oh, yeah, we're not going to get into that. No. But um, episode six today... Um, I released an episode on Monday about power list and goal settings, so definitely go check that out if you haven't. I'm just sitting in the studio just trying to get to you, baby. But the song's so fucking dope, girl, it's hard somebody who I work with, somebody who I, I guess you could say, look up to in terms of mentorship at uh, our school. She's somebody who has progressed quite far in her career with it only uh, a short four-year stint. Would you say, would you agree with that? Yep, so four years at my current school and um, almost a year at my first school where I had a temp engagement, but since I've become permanent, I've definitely progressed um, to sort of where I want to be at this point in my career. Um, don't really want to move much more quickly and I'm pretty happy where I am um but yeah definitely been a quick progression up to relieving head teacher which I'm doing at the moment yeah so I guess we'll get into that the relieving head teacher part of in a little bit what I want to start with like because you're similar to me in the sense that uh I didn't start out teaching yeah I started out in the exercise science field you started out as nutrition so I want to sort of dive into that a little bit give everybody gets a bit of a background on your nutrition um degree and your work with the dragons yeah, so um, when I finished school, I um, started an undergraduate degree at Wollongong University looking at chemistry and nutrition as my two majors. And um, while I was doing that, I sort of fell in love with sports nutrition. And once I finished my undergraduate degree, I transferred straight into a Master's of Nutrition and Dietetics. And I was really lucky to have some contacts in the Wollongong area Um, which allowed me to work as the junior nutritionist under Wayne Bennett um, when he started at the Dragons, which meant as I was studying dietetics, I was working with the senior dietitian at the Dragons, Mel Chapman at the time, Um, and we were working on both the um, first grade squad, um, the sort of second grade squad, I guess, and then the cup at the time, I think it was called something up. Something else. Time. Yep. It's called Canterbury Cup now. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then all of the junior representative teams, so from 14-year-olds upwards to um, the 21s. So we were working with a really large group so of So you were all the athletes. way from, so you like 13s development all the way up to first grade. Correct. High yep. performance squad. Correct. Everything. Yes, everything. So we had a whole range of athletes that we were working with with a whole range of different needs. And a lot of our job was actually um, nutrition education, especially for the parents. Um, so, you know, we had parents that were feeding their kids KFC before matches. So it was very much an education role from 13-year-olds to, um, you know, first-grade footballers who thought they knew everything about nutrition to um, parents who really didn't know how to best serve their kids in terms of looking after them for um, match day and training. So a pretty hefty role when you really think about it. Yeah, and as a 21-year-old, um, you know, working with some really experienced players and really, really experienced coaches and um, strength and conditioning coaches, it sort of threw me in the deep end straight away and it meant that I could achieve some of my sort of career goals really quickly, yeah. which sort of led me to then my career change. Yes, yeah, so that's what I'm into now. So how did nutrition have any influence on deciding to teach or was it just you had enough of nutrition and decided, 
I'm going to go teach. So I ended up um, sort of snagging a bit of a teaching role at the University of Wollongong because I was always down there. We actually trained on the fields at yeah. UOW. So I maintained some really close relationships with the lecturers that I'd right. been taught by. And then um, a job came up in the School of Health Science teaching human physiology to first years. Um, so when Wayne left to Newcastle, I didn't follow him. So I was then looking for some employment, um, and I got a job with New South Wales health, but that wasn't full time. Um, so then I started teaching at the uni and I just fell in love with, um, that teaching job. Just like tutorings? Yeah. So running all of the, um, the sessions for human physiology. So not lecturing, but all of the, um, group sessions so the smaller group sessions yeah like the workshops and all, yeah, that all of stuff. the yeah, workshops yeah, yeah, yeah. um the shoot workshops yeah the tutorials and workshops yeah um and all of the practical stuff in terms of um you know using some of the heart rate monitors and those sorts of things that um you do in first year get your head in the game of health science i was running those and yeah i just really liked the education side of things and working with students and just those sort of light bulb moments that you get when you're working with people um so i just signed up for the last year of the um, grad dip of education because I knew I could finish it in eight months. So it wouldn't take me too long to get back into sort of full-time um, permanent employment, which is obviously what most people yeah, are looking so for. Elliot and I, so Elliot's one of my mates who was on here the other day, mm -hmm. um, we were discussing that because we were the year, when we finished our health science, we were the year, the last year, that year was the last year that was taking dip ed. So we had no choice but to do the masters correct so yeah. we were yeah we were the last year to yeah that could have that could have done dip ed yeah the other way around we we were the last year that we were first time first year they missed out on the dip ed yeah i got that out so you did the masters course. yeah yeah well, no really no other choice yeah so for me it was only eight months and i think for someone like myself who'd worked in a job that required like a lot of communication that was okay but uh for other people i think maybe the two years is quite important um, if you've never, you know, if you've gone from a straight sort of research science into, say, science teaching or a straight health science into PDHP teaching, you haven't done a whole lot of communication with people. I think you do need a little bit of time to get confident in front of sort of 30 kids. So um, we were discussing this as well. We were saying, like, we were discussing the pros and cons of sort of masters. And we think that, yeah, the cons is the sense that it was very, because so, it's over two years, even a year and a half, our one, you could have done accelerated in a year and a half or two years for normal. And you get two pracs, one a year, and it was like, it was like, oh. I still did three pr pracs in my dip ed. Yeah, so we only did two pracs, yeah. one five week, one one six week one. Okay, so we did two two weeks and then a six week. Um, so an observation, oh, right. a teaching, and then what would be, okay. I guess, our internship. The internship, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To be honest, I think for everyone, and everyone would agree, more time in the classroom as a student is way more beneficial. Oh. Like I can't even remember the things I learned in the actual lecture theatres at yeah. uni, but I remember you know, all of the little wins and yeah. all of the challenges of actually being a student teacher. Yeah, we were discussing this last week and it was, yeah, just the, that's the one thing that we said about the masters that we probably would, f was a bit on the negative side is, is the sense that you don't have as much time in the classroom. Everything else was awesome. Like the, the theoretical, theoretical knowledge and the classes that the actual were part of the curriculum were awesome. It was just, I would have preferred, yeah, two longer, if we're going to do two, make both 10 weeks or something, just a whole two terms full, just so you get enough in. Because really, we got one whole term full, really, yeah. when you think about it. And now I'm coordinating prac students um, in my current role. I just, you know, I see them come in and it takes them just a couple of weeks even just to settle and yeah. be confident in the environment. So it does, 
sort of, I think everyone is ag agreeable that, you know, more time spent in the classroom as a prac student would be really helpful for, for everyone, both yeah, those for supervisors sure. and, and prac students. For sure. The more experience you get inside that classroom, that's like, that's what it's necessarily yeah, it's it's what it's about. about. Like, yeah. you can learn all the theories you want. That's what we mean. Elliot was saying, like, because our, our journey has been quite similar in the sense that we both went to Catholic boys high schools. We both went to ACU, did exercise science, both did masters of teaching UTS. Um, our first practice were both boys Catholic and private schools second run were both at western sydney based schools like we had a very similar like pathway yeah and it was just like so the first um first practical was all uh teaching strategies second one was all behavior management strategy strategies and it was just yeah a lot sometimes of the, it's good when it's broken up that like that because you do get the content sort of down first and then you do have that second practice to see how it works um, you know, when you're more focused on behavior management because there's nothing worse than being in front of a really diligent class and not knowing what you're mm. talking about. Yeah. And then vice versa, there's, you know, if you actually have got a really difficult class and you need to behavior manage, imagine trying to like book up a textbook while you're trying to like make sure yeah, Johnny's yeah. not climbing up the walls. Like I think to have that first sort of settling prac and then yeah, get the Yeah, I was quite happy. One. When I, if I, if I were, like think back on it, I'm pretty happy of how it sort of turned out in the sense yeah. that, yeah, I could... I got the first time, like the first time jitters out of the way, and just yep. all that nervous energy and stuff. Like I couldn't imagine that doing that at my second school, just because of the fact that it was so behaviour mm -hmm. management orientated. That I was, yeah, just you have so many things going through your head that I find that going to a school first where it was just like behaviour management wise was a breeze. Mm. It was just so much nicer. Yeah. To settle into it. And then in terms of like how I got, I guess my current job. I um, ended up doing one of my pracs at um, the school that I went to, which I think is a little bit frowned upon, but um, yeah, I, I was lucky bit. enough to, to be able to do that, which meant I had some really strong relationships with the teachers that were there because they were my teachers at school. Um, and then from that, I got a temporary engagement um, at that school. And then six months into the temporary engagement, my head teacher encouraged me to go for a permanent job um, via merit selection. And... I had no thought that I was going to be successful because it was my first time writing a CV and my first time doing um, a panel interview. But um, yeah, I was successful and then had to pick up my life and move from uh, the Sutherland Shire to the eastern suburbs so and that's, yeah, still that's in that dive, current school. Dive a little bit into your teaching journey mm. in the sense of we've made it. So you went for nutrition and then you started teaching at... Mm -hmm. um, you Wollongong Uni for a bit and then did your dip ed. What else sort of, I guess, influenced... Is there anything um, else that sort of influenced? So I guess my parents are both primary school teachers. So yep. my dad was a primary school educator for 30 years and then um, he did a little bit of casual teaching and now he's pretty well retired, but he does still work for the Sydney East Sport Unit a little bit, running carnivals, um, golf, cricket, yeah, yep. swimming, athletics. So he's definitely in that arena. Um, my mum taught for about the same amount of time in primary education and now she works um, at the... Teachers Federation, so our union, um, as an organiser. So supporting, she actually supports beginning teachers, so casuals and temporaries. Um, so I've got a really strong history of education in my family. My aunties and uncles are teachers. So, so it's sort of, I guess, weird that you didn't go to teaching to start Yeah, with. so my parents encouraged me to go somewhere else. And I think anyone listening to this would know that teaching is a hard job. And they didn't want me to go and, you know, put in all the hours for maybe not the best pay um, and not that much thanks. But... You know, I was always going to be drawn to it, seeing my parents. And, yes. and they absolutely love um, being educators, especially public educators. So, yeah, it, it definitely is in my blood. And, um, yeah, I guess it was funny that I didn't just start. It would have saved me a lot of time and grief at uni. 
I guess most people sort of think as well, because you're actually you're a science teacher, you're a biology yeah, specialist. Biology I specialist. I guess most people would think with a nutrition background and exercise science sort of background in terms of obviously working with exercise science people you'd naturally transition to pdh yeah so i guess um i was pretty lucky because p is very hard to get a job in unless you're targeted like yourself um but yeah um i <laughs> <Thank> guess <you. laughs> just like anyone else um all i did was i sent my transcripts from my two previous degrees to the department and they told me what i was going to be um so they told me i was going to be a chemistry biology teacher. I guess people don't really know from being a nutritionist or a dietitian. Um, it's a it's a science degree. So my first year was all anatomy, physiology, chemistry, and biology. Um, pretty similar to a, a medical degree's first yep. year. So um, yeah, we're we're very heavily that's based the, around yeah, that's science. The same as exercise science. It was a lot exactly. of a lot of biology, a lot of um, you, physics. As an exercise maths. science degree though if you had applied um and done one more physics course i think your biomechanics from exercise science actually would qualify you to be a science it, teacher so it, it would yeah because i know one of my mates that did um well that's, that's this is how they get around it at ACU, well, at ACU and obviously every uni as well is there's exercise and sports science and yep. there's exercise and health science yeah health science goes down the road of teaching where you do teaching based units and there's like dance units there's um athletics units there's games units so it's bound down that teaching road whereas a sport science is purely sport science based yep. so if you do an exercise of sport science and finish with that then you qualify as a science teacher not pdhp you have to do extra units to become pdhp trained because yep. that happened to my mate i i veered off i started with sports science and then when i decided i wanted to do teaching i veered off into health science yeah did the health science and then did my masters of pe whereas my mate who was at um western sydney what is that wsu su now it's yeah. called they've rebranded or whatever um he he did a sports science degree and then did a master's at um, western sydney and they're saying that he has he's a science teacher yeah to be honest though i think you're more employable as a science teacher i don't think that's a problem it just depends no. actually what you want to be yeah. doing day to day like always... do you want to be playing basketball and talking about contraception or <laughs> do you want to be running uh, electricity pracs and talking about uh you know ecosystem so for me i wanted to be science um i actually thought i'd be science maybe food technology because of all of my nutrition yeah, background actually it's true but i am um, i'm really lucky i work in a school as you know that um we have really um, amazing head teachers that really encourage cross-curricular um, links, especially in senior schools. So I regularly do lectures with um, PE teachers and I have worked with the food tech teachers on some cross-curricular units and done some nutrition lectures for them as well. So our school really appreciates the fact that we've got those backgrounds outside of teaching and they use that yeah, to their advantage. I definitely think that's um, something that, especially in our staff room, um, especially is something that people recognize other people's strength and people are Definitely. not afraid to draw upon those. No. Like yeah. as you're saying, like when we do crossroads of year 11 and stuff and um, seniors PE, when you talk about nutrition and stuff, it's m there's more reason for you to come into the classroom and do it with 100%. the master's and the bachelor's degree. I know yeah. we cover nutrition and exercise science, but I mean, yeah. it's, 17 kilojoules for a carb like it's, yeah. it's not down into the so nitty gritties of it's it it's pretty amazing so i actually go into a whole range of different like ergonomic aids with the high performance topic in the senior syllabus and talk about you know how to use caffeine um how to use supplements and you know sometimes i get these really intelligent amazing questions from some kids that they might not be the most academic kids but they're really interested in training and um their own performance and it opens up really you know higher order conversations about you know, content that, that might not have been covered otherwise. So I know um, the head teacher teaching and learning whose position I've taken on, 
before he left, we got, you know, into some really, really in-depth conversations with his PDHP class about um, training and performance and using training aids. And it even challenged me and my understanding in some ways. So I think that, yeah, that's something that is really beneficial in our school that we're open to having these conversations and using people's skill sets that might be outside of our faculties. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's something that you need to have as a teacher, especially, and just a being a person in general just, human being yeah just <laughs> you need to when there's somebody has a strength especially when it terms of actual qualifications and study you'd be silly not to use it absolutely especially if it relates to something that you're using yeah. or it's part of your syllabus if you're a teacher especially yeah um you just mentioned it there you, you're head teacher teacher and a learning relieving head teacher but we'll just head teacher uh, teacher and learning is easiest yeah. um what let's give a give a quick um i guess recap on what your job's about Okay, so it's a strange position. It's a non-KLA um, head teacher. So usually that would be a secondary studies head teacher or a head teacher wellbeing or a teaching and learning or an administrative um, head teacher. So all of those fall outside of running a faculty. Um, so in terms of what the role entails, it can be different school to school. So the principal has the entire discretion as to what my role actually is. Um, and we Central actually entries. have... Yeah, we actually have two head teacher teaching and learning um, roles at our school. And so the role is split into sort of two main categories. So I'm more of um, an organisation and administrator in terms of I run all of um, the practical experience students. I also induct any new teachers into the school um, at the start of the year. And then if anyone gets jobs throughout the year, I'm in charge of organising um, staff meetings and meeting agendas. I'm also in charge of all of our teams. So we have a team structure that look at literacy, numeracy, gifted and talented, problem-based learning, technology, um, community, culture and engagement. Um, so I'm in charge of making sure that those teams run smoothly. So and I that think those, those teams, are, they're based on the school plan. Exactly. So they're, yeah. they're based so on our school plan. And from there, you, we, we assigned ourselves to a team, which is something that's on our interest. Like I'm in the... Uh, project-based learning team because that's something that I really think is um, valuable to the kids and something that we really want to get up and running in our PE faculty. So I'm part of the PBL team. Um, yeah, so there's literacy teams, there's GAT teams, yep. community engagement teams, and there's all these teams that are related to our strategic plan or our yeah, school plan. So it's my responsibility to make sure that the, the um, teams themselves are meeting their milestones term to term and then um, at the end of each year, making sure that as a school and as a staff, we have met um, the strategic direction for that year. So obviously, we're in our current cycle from 2018 to 2020. So I have to talk to the principal and making sure that we're on track with all of these milestones. And then I will develop a document, which he will then take to the director to show him that we are on track to meet our school plan. So it's a really diverse role. Um, and there's a whole range of other things that I do sort of behind the scenes um, that you know, sort of just get put on my plate sort of more as a reactive to any problems that might arise. But it's definitely been something that's challenged me for the last three months and I'm sure will continue to travel, uh, sort of challenge me for the next three months as I continue until um, a permanent person comes in and takes over. But it's not something that I could then take and transfer perfectly to another school environment because they might have a completely different role statement for a head teacher teaching and learning depending on their own school context. Yeah, again, it's a very, yeah, as you're saying, like I've not, I haven't really heard about it before. Like mm. the, the role, especially when Leifey was part of it and doing the head teacher role before he left, was, yeah, it's just a, 
It was a very odd role in the school. Yeah, like it, it was is. just it was like it was specific to the school. It is, and I think it's because our school itself doesn't have a head teacher um, administration. We have an administrative officer yeah. um, who does a lot of the jobs like making up the you know examination timetables and organizing casuals. Um, so a lot of the jobs that I do would usually fall under that um, umbrella head teacher mm. job, but um, we don't have that at the school. Well, and that school's so big. Like we're what thirteen hundred kids. Like yeah. it's to put more. Yeah. So, so we were supposed to have another head teacher position, but the school chose to have a third deputy instead. So that should have been yeah. a head teacher admin position. Um, but the um, school and the director went back to the department and negotiated for it to be a third deputy. So it's I guess that whole local schools local decisions idea in the sense yeah. that the principal has the power to. Which um, is good differentiate like for our needs versus you know what the department might see as our needs so yeah it's been it's been a really interesting learning curve um for me um but it's also made me realize like some of the things that i do want to focus more on and things that i am not so interested in and it makes yeah. you really cherish the time you actually do have in the classroom um because you're really only on a half teaching load because so your ro- a load's been cut down heaps yeah so i only teach three periods a day really um Living the dream. and then the rest of my time is pretty much spent on administration yeah. um for all the other jobs i have to do so i guess you're looking forward to getting back in the classroom yes i really am um i don't know what my timetable is going to look like um because at the start of the year before i was asked to do this job um i had a really lovely selective year seven class and um sort of like a, a mixed ability year 10 class um but they've obviously been given to other people so i'm not exactly sure what the rest of my load will look like when i'm back in the classroom but um yeah it'll be interesting transition back for second semester as part of your role i guess as the head teacher teacher learning at the school you are required to look over us um newbies us beginning teachers mm-hmm, which I i'm am. still a part of yes. so i guess give us a little rundown of what when it comes to beginning teachers what's your i guess role as guardian yeah, so it's it's a it's definitely a mentoring role. Um, it's a contact person and a support person, and this is something I'm super passionate about. I present at um, two conferences a year on beginning teachers and give a, a sort of a talk um, and a workshop on how to best manage your time and how to take on responsibilities that will help you gain permanency, but also look after your own um, health and well-being. So for me, um, I just really, I guess what you said before, I want to be people, a, a person that people can look up to, ask questions, um, just feel comfortable talking to and sort of be that person that can contact the senior executive with any issues that arise. Because, you know, when it is your first school um, or if it's your first you know, year contract or temporary engagement or permanent employment, Sometimes there is a teething period where there's, you know, time that it takes you to feel comfortable, you know, make relationships with other teachers. And if I'm there to be that sort of contact point, um, I feel like people feel a little bit more comfortable settling into their role. Um, So for me, it's inducting the teachers, being that contact point, setting them up with a mentor, making sure they're getting their um, relief from face-to-face with their beginner teacher funding, making sure that they're accessing courses that are appropriate for them for, like, behaviour management programming and planning, um, looking at giving them some extra support for report writing and things that they won't have done before, Um, and then organising fun stuff like staff nights out for beginning teachers um, and some after-school lectures on things like you know, yeah, because I think you mentioned, things like mentioned in there before is the fact that we have a, oh, it like once a, every three weeks or something, yeah, we'll, we'll have a beginner teacher yeah. meeting, which is generally we get um, somebody who is an expert in their field. Yeah, so somebody, yeah. experienced teachers who have, I guess, little niche, um, yeah, experts in little niche things and come and present 
on things into uh, our meetings about so yeah, behaviour management, if that's their strong point. Yeah, or like differentiation. One of our, our English head teacher presented on differentiation because she's um, really experienced in that area. We had um, people come in and talk about um, using some literacy strategies to improve um, results. So it's, it's more just things that we think that might be brushed over or that you might not get to focus on in university that really suit our school context um, and that we've got some really, really strong people in our school that can support yeah, the and I def- teachers. I now. definitely think that the beginning teacher mentorship and the beginning teacher meetings that we have and just the way the school does the beginning teacher stuff is really, really well done. I know Thank when you. I first <laughs> came and Leif was running it, the same sort, of, same sort of thing, like it was just, you said that point of contact, it helped with Leif you being in our staff room part mm. of the PE, but just that one person that is the face of beginning teachers, so you just, you feel, I don't know how to put it, you do, you do feel... Um, you got someone you, in your corner. Yeah, like, that's someone in your corner. And it, it's good because I know people email me, even just things like one of the beginning teachers switched from um, one like teaching load to another teaching load and they didn't put her relief from face-to-face time on the new um, teaching load and you know she flicked me an email and then I um, just contacted the timetablers and said can you just fix this for her and it just means that they don't have to um, go to the executive or senior executive if they don't feel 100% comfortable and I can have that conversation for them and you know that's why I do have that reduced load so I can manage those difficult conversations and you know go in as a support person into meetings with people Um, and being a semi sort of beginning teacher myself, I think it makes people feel comfortable knowing that I haven't been in, in a school environment for you know fifteen yeah, or twenty not years a, myself. You're not a 15, like I'm, twenty year experience I, yeah, teacher. Yeah, I understand you're the context years in, of so being you're, a beginning you know, teacher. You're what two years out of a beginning teacher yourself, sort of thing. Yeah, which definitely definitely does make it more um, obviously same age gap, same sort of age brackets, sort of thing that people in the beginning teacher thing is. Does it makes I guess a lot more relatable. Yeah, and easier to talk to and stuff. Yeah, that's definitely the feedback which, I've got as well. Yeah, and I think. One thing I didn't, I have mentioned this on previous episodes was with our beginning teacher money, because so we get about 17 So it's $14,300. $14,300. That is now being used this year to give us three periods of fortnight off, is it? Correct. Yeah, so I think if your school's not doing that, I think there's a conversation that. So you the, problem with, the problem with the conversation being had with every school and every beginning teacher, once they get their. Um, year engagement, um, so one full year temporary engagement, or if you get employed as a permanent teacher, you are um, eligible for this funding. Um, the school itself has the capacity to use this in a whole range of different yeah. ways. So our school's really good. Um, we tie that funding to each individual um, beginning teacher. We do not pull the money and not then use I know, it. I've known some schools that have pulled yes. it. So and a lot, a lot of, of schools f- use it as a pool of money to use for their teacher professional learning. Yeah, for everybody. And for everybody. And um, that's not what the department actually puts that yeah. money aside for. And if you read the department guidelines on the website about what it's supposed to be used for, there are very clear um, guidelines about what it should be used for. So if, I guess the conversation might not be able to be had um, you know, with the principal straight up if your school's been doing something for a really long time, but you do have the support of those really clear guidelines on the website, um, the department's website, that you can print it out and you can walk in and you can say, I don't feel like I'm getting my money's worth and I really need some time for a specific thing. Link it to your PDP and say, I want to go on this course. I want to have some time yeah, off I guess class. Where, that's where someone like you comes in handy as being, like a, that's my as job. being yeah. a witness or just a support person yeah. in that scenario in the sense that you don't feel ostracised or outcasted just going by yourself because I said, I know, I, and I'm like, not naming names, but I know schools that have 
just not given the teacher yeah. their money at all and they've yeah. used it for not even professional development it might have been like painting or something like it's just stuff that yeah and i just think and i know a lot of schools um make the beginning teacher track their own money and stuff and it's like well that's all done for us like we get yeah all we need to do is just say we want this we want this we want this we want this and but i just think <laughs> i just think as well the fact that we get the three periods off a fortnight is just so valuable in the sense that you can go on as many professional developments as you want and sometimes you buy stuff for professional development is not even that good sometimes so but i just think the three off a fortnight is so valuable in the sense of extra time for planning extra time for reporting when it's terms two and four the, that is the 100 percent the idea from the department it's things are going to take you a little longer yeah um and you know you might actually want to jump in on a senior teacher's class and, and have extra yeah, time yeah. to do observations i was thinking into that little things that just you you just spend a little bit more time on and that was 100 percent. like if you read the page of the website which says yeah. why it was brought in it's exactly that and you're so right like you can go on a thousand courses but being in the staff room and being able to spend a little bit more time planning that quality lesson for those better educational outcomes is 100% why the funding came in in the first place. Yeah, and I think that's, I was getting into that as well because of the fact, I know I've been real slack on it, but my my goals again this year to get into more classrooms. Mm -hmm. And I spoke about it with Elliot on the other episode in the sense that getting across KLAs, not, yeah. like if you're English, get out of the English KLA yeah. and go and look, watch a PE lesson. Yeah. Go and watch, you know what I mean? For somebody outside of PE, I recommend going and watching PE PE, practical, practical yeah. PE, and just seeing how... Same as the science, practical. Yeah, you mean, how, you're seeing a different element because you're outside, you're not in the classroom, the environment's a lot bigger now, you know what I mean? It's not contained. But the same for us, like, yeah, you know what I mean? It would be valuable for me to go and watch science practicals and see how the structure and how it, some teachers run their science practicals because there's always something that I can take from that for my PE practicals, Definitely. for example. Yeah. But even, you know, in, especially techniques when it comes to... Like English, I know I want to get into a few English classrooms, and just in the sense, because literacy is not my strong point, it's never been my strong point, mm -hmm. but um, <laughs> it's never been my strong point. But like, just <laughs> especially now with year 11 and my senior classes, is that's where obviously for PE, especially where you go from a it's band five to a band six, yeah, like it's not essay based like histories and societies and that sort of stuff. But it's still from going from a band five to a band six. It's about the way you six. organize your thoughts, though, and yes. like the same with biology. Like PE and biology are very similar. A whole lot of terminology. The best responses content. are the ones that are like concise, to the point, answer the question at the verb level. Yeah. But also, you know, they're the ones that can organize a response so that the marker doesn't have to read in to and find out what the they're mark. trying to. So yeah, I just say finished. Exactly. Yeah, I just finished marking our year eleven. So my year eleven is their first assignment. And I, that's one of the feedback I gave to them when we spoke. When I spoke to them, is the fact that I have time to go back and and look for your marks to put you from a four to a five or whatever it is. People that mark HSC don't have time for that. No, nor they're doing do they it care. after a teaching day. Yeah. they finish teaching at three thirty. Usually, they're at their desk by three thirty-five, and then they're marking based on they mark like minutes. So you get paid per paper. So yeah. you know, the shorter time it takes, the more money they're making. So. Um, yeah, you, that's exactly what I say to my kids as well. And like, if you need to underline it, if you need to dot point it, if you need to highlight it, if your main points, you want your main points to stand out, do all of that because as soon as the marker can see that buzzword or that you've yeah. covered that point, they're like, they're, they're looking at a marking criteria. They've spoken to their head marker and there's your answer. And if they can see it, they can see it. So yeah, you're right. Like getting into an English classroom and watching how they teach specific literacy strategies is always going to strengthen your ability as a teacher to improve marks in those senior classes. And yeah, coming back to the three periods is the fact that that's what 
like it's so valuable even with if you don't get three periods off through you get teacher money if you, the school doesn't do that use the free periods that you have to get into another classroom it's do like, it at times but you maybe you don't have reports to write like you know maybe the it's before or after a carnival day so you don't have to plan lessons for the next day you know time where you feel a little bit more relaxed obviously don't stress yourself out to do it you know when you're really busy but you will never um it will never be a waste of 54 minutes or however long the period is because you will take something from it and same with supervising prac students you know every time you supervise a prac student you know if you do get the opportunity to you learn something from you know those teachers because they're doing things a little bit differently to what you do and you can you know go in and you can say to the person this can be for your pdp because you need to have an observation per semester and then you know you've, you've done a favor for them as well because their observations done so there's definitely no negatives to going no, in yeah, and, like it's, and I think, watching someone's... I don't know, for me specifically as well, it's just the way I learn heaps. Yeah. Like observation and just watching and kinesthetically sure. and stuff, like just doing. <laughs> doing. Just doing is perfect. P.E. teacher, perfect. for sure. <laughs> just living the dream. But yeah, so that's pretty much what my role's about um, at the moment. And yeah, it's a very diverse one. <laughs> so you have as well, you're part, of, you're part of the GAT team, you're the leader of the GAT team. Yeah. So gifted and talented. You were doing gifted and talented before the head teacher role as well. Correct. So, I guess, what is your, in terms of the GAT team at school, so the gifted and talented, gifted and talented, um, what is your, what are your milestones you're looking for as a GAT team together? So, um, I guess, just to give the school some context, so we have a selective stream, um, which means that 60 kids in every year group um, sit the selective school test and come into us identified as gifted and talented students. Um, this terminology is sort of um, under review at the moment in the fact that the department is looking to change that to um, students with high potential or high potential students. Um, but at the moment, we're working with the current department policy. And um, in terms of the GAT team, we've got a few major milestones that we're working with at the moment. Um, it's to just have normal faculty, gifted and talented, differentiated um, programs and plans and opportunities. So things like students sitting the geography competition or um, students going out on writer's day for the English faculty. So we've just got our normal faculty goals. Then we've got really specific goals around working with our underachieving gifted and talented students. So for term one, our focus was to develop some sort of validated questionnaires that can be administered by our SLSOs with our identified underachieving gifted and talented students um, and really working out why they're struggling to achieve the results we expect and as a school we expect all of our gifted and talented or selective students to be achieving um, A's across the board um, minimum a few B's and even then we'll still be asking questions as to what is going on so these questionnaires have been finalised now and they are being put into action in our learning hub. Um, so our SLSOs will be administering those and developing individualised learning plans for those students who need a little bit of extra support. And the whole purpose behind that is just to find the reason as to why these students aren't achieving. So it could be things like, you know, they're not, they're sort of like self-fulfilling prophecies of thinking that they're not good enough or, you know, they're really not, um, thinking that they should be in that selective stream. It could be that they're bored. Um, it could be that the work isn't challenging enough for them. Even situations, you know, where they've only really sat an exam to be gifted and talented in English and maths 
and it might be that they really don't like another subject. So just getting our head around what's going on for them individually and then trying to support them best we can. Um, think, yeah, that's a ma major one. And the fact that they, the test is only for maths and English and is like, something like PE, a lot of them aren't, let's say, the sportiest of kids. Yeah. So when they come to PE, it's just like a, yeah, it's very hard to have them engaged. But and, I that, and that's just a human being thing. Like, you know, yeah. we obviously have specific skill sets ourselves. You know, there might be some things that I'm not that good at that, you know, I, I, I then have to just be honest with myself that that's not my, my strength. And I think the expectation across the board um, that these kids are just going to be amazing at everything is not the way oh, that... For sure. and, and it's something that we need to be realistic about. Um, but for us, it's more about making sure that they've got all the tools in their toolkit so that, you know, that they, they can achieve as, as much as they possibly can. Um, then we've got some other fun things, like we've got the Gifted and Talented Band. Um, we've got our magnet program that we run, which is like for all of our feeder schools to get the year five kids to come in and just experience high school life. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much what we're doing. And then obviously just in terms of our school plan and strategic direction, just making sure that we're still working on our um, literacy and numeracy results in all of our standardized tests because um, obviously that's something that's important to the department. Um, but I really love working with the GAT team. We have an extremely committed, passionate group of about 15 teachers, mostly from the maths and social science faculties, um, a few from English, um, none from PE. Nada from PE. Liam. Um, Nada from PE. So, yeah, it's, it's an amazing team to work Houston. with. And I have to say... Um, since I've I been do doing this head you, teacher job um, and I haven't been so involved, um, Dane, one of the history teachers, has taken over and he's doing a fabulous job. So I still get to see the rewards of yeah of that team. But yeah, I, I do. I'm really passionate about gifted and talented and I'm really interested to see um, this new policy that's going to be put out by the department, hopefully by the end of this term and see because what they're doing is they're trying to change the focus from gifted and talented to high potential. So looking at students like, you know, a world champ surfer that might be in our school um, and saying, okay, so he's high potential, kinesthetic learner. He obviously has these amazing gifts. You know, he might need a little bit of extra support in terms of his schoolwork because he's focusing all of his time on this. Yeah. How can the public education system still support, you know, all high potential students, which I think yeah. is really important. Um, and we really need to make sure that we're not just focused on kids that are good at math and English because, you know, looking at the current 21st century learner and where kids are going into jobs and roles, you know, it's not just the kids that are great at math and English. It's, you know, it's creative thinkers. It's kids with really good communication skills. And if we can sort of start, you know, manifesting all of these um, potential or high potential students, then we're going to get way more success from our students when they go out into the real world and try and be employed. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. I think those 21st century skills that you mentioned are just vital necessity. That's what I find with a lot of the kids these days. It's just like they, might, especially the selective strain, they're very gifted in terms of their smart, smarts, mm -hmm. but just their social skills and their yep. ability to relate to other people and just empathy Definitely. and just yeah. things and like there's that. things that they need to work on. And um, Alex, a math teacher and myself, ran Magnet last year, this um, feeder school program. And... We actually spend a lot of time, you know, with these kids because they are you know, gifted and talented kids playing soccer, working on social skills, doing um, some problem solving games, even little things like kinesthetic games in a circle. And you could see the frustration on some of the kids that, that are so used to being the best at everything yeah. and it challenged them and it made yeah, them, for sure. you know, then you saw it was actually the girls that shone through. Um, and yeah, the girls. Yeah. And they were just, they were just 
whole like sort of more holistic in their giftedness i found yeah. and and they were much more confident and i think that's a maturity thing they, do, yeah. they were they, year they five. mature a lot quicker obviously but it was really amazing to see that you know these kids that are so good at math and english got a little bit frustrated when they had to problem solve or have you know social interaction so yeah i think we're all on the same page um with with that need to sort of manifest those more holistic um gifted students yeah so i guess something gifted and talent is obviously something that you're pretty yeah. passionate about and it is something that i know a lot of um a lot of english teachers especially are really um i guess driven with gifted and talented yeah. obviously with school in terms of our assessments a pretty simple way like we differentiate is with our verbs obviously from our alarm matrix yeah obviously the higher up you start with basic ones like identify and describe yep. for, so everybody can gain marks there, send up every, everybody up for success. And then obviously as the assignment goes on, you get into evaluate, evaluate, sorry, and you assess. Yeah, analyze. Um, how else, what are some like, I guess, basic ways that people who might have streamed classes, they don't have the gap classes, but they still have those gifted and talented students in their class. What are some, I guess, easy ways to differentiate for those kids? So... Um, I use reading a lot and I think, you know, the research um, is solid. Um, kids who read tend to do better. Um, so I tend to set my kids a lot of um, interesting or extra readings and for science it's really easy to do that. So yeah. um, pre-readings and post-readings around our topic areas, which give them that, um, I guess it gives them that narrative around what we're actually talking about. So things like I'll get them to read chapters from Bill Bryson's The Short History of Nearly Everything, um, excerpts from Charles Darwin's um, teachings, um, Brian Cox's writings, all these amazing scientists that published books that are sort of, you know, they're pointed to like the layman or the non-scientist. So yeah. it makes it accessible for students that the ages that we're teaching. Um, and then I might ask them at the end of the next lesson um, to write or describe or evaluate something that they read out of those extra readings. And for me, um, it just shows those students that it's not just about the curriculum and the syllabus, but it gives them that context to the real world yeah, with what they're studying. Um, for sure. So I find that really helpful. Um, and I find that the kids that are really motivated love that little bit of extra reading outside of the normal sort of textbook um, I guess it breaks up it breaks it up in the sense of syllabus and curriculum and it's Definitely. just it's not part of the curriculum it's not part of the syllabus it's something um, outside of yeah, it's yeah. Out, so they I find that they love that um, the other thing that I find is without obviously singling students out differentiating groups so you've got you know some of the kids that may be a little bit more capable in groups with some students that might need a little bit of support and sort of setting up almost like a peer tutoring they type love that arrangement they, okay because yeah. the kids that are really capable they, they love showing off they how do good love showing off. and it's perfect because then you take a backseat role to a degree you, you and when you have the you, know, you might have three or four kids in the class where you can say gifted and talented you have three or four groups they run those groups like and that's what they want to do like 100 percent. it's yeah. just like the kids that you with PE the kids that are good at sport they want to run the, the, they want to be the center of attention they want to run the sport they the want captain. to yeah they want to be yeah. the captain it's the same concept in the classroom definitely so that's something that I do um quite a bit um and then probably the, the, the only other thing that I would say is um just physically differentiating work so it might be that I'll do sort of like a, a chessboard or um um like a noughts and crosses style um opportunity lesson so you have to do something from the first row you have to do something from the second row and you have to do something from the third row um, and then where else you go is up to you so those kids that naturally want to challenge themselves will take on the more difficult um, 
directions, whereas the kids that maybe need a little bit more time just working with vocabulary or terminology will choose yeah. those those easier options. And I don't teach many juniors anymore, but that when I taught um, sort of mainstream junior classes where I did have those gifted students um, mixed in, that's what I used a lot. So I'd set up a week's worth of work. Um, we'd work on just the general content for maybe the first lesson and then the first five or ten minutes of the other lessons. But then they'd be working quite independently and it gives you time to get around to those kids that need extra support because we don't actually have in-class support in our school because we use all that funding for the learning hub where kids are pulled out of class. So you really do need to set some student-directed activities in those mainstream classes so that you have time to get one-on-one -on -one with those students that need extra support. So they're probably my three strategies that I use. Yeah, and I think the big one to think of and as well is the as it goes beyond the material, as it goes beyond differentiating the content. actual course content yeah. stuff and using the strategies of like getting them to run leadership groups, getting them to run, getting them to teach. Because you might find that someone that maybe isn't the best with book work or the neatest student is a really confident public speaker and they're happy to get up and direct um, other students in, in doing um, activities. And, and I find that um, we maybe negate these other skill sets that actually, you know, make someone really successful in the real world and that's something I'm really passionate about and one of the reasons that I got involved with the GAT team to begin with is being able to look at different skill sets and different gifts in that, you know, some of those kids that maybe annoy you because they're always constantly following you around and wanting to be like, you know, in your pocket, if you give them a little bit of extra responsibility, they yeah. take that on board and they run with it and For it can sure. be a really positive thing in your classroom and it's about, you know, knowing your students and how you learn, one of those standards that we all know so well. Um, the better you know your students, the more you can really tap into those gifts and skill sets that they have and the more you're going to get out of them as well. For sure. I guess that's a good – you've made a good segue here for yes. me. So gifts and skill sets, good little segue. Mm -hmm. I guess one of your gifts and skill sets is interviews. Yes, I love a good interview. You seem to – although I guess um, the last one was, wasn't as planned, but you still – the feedback you got from that was – they're pretty much as good as you're going to get. Yeah. You were unsuccessful in the position mainly because of a lack of experience. As you said, you're only four years into your teaching. Yeah. The position was filled by a 25-year year <laughs> or so teacher. Yeah. But the feedback you got from the interviewers and the school was very, very positive. Yeah. Um, so interviewing is something that you are very strong with. Even when not even the interview part, but preparing the EOI and your resumes and all that kind of stuff. So I guess... Let's try and dive into that a little bit again. Let's start at the beginning in terms of like your EOIs and preparing that. So what's a, do you have any tips or like how, how, what's your process or structure into preparing an EOI or so, expressions of interest if you so don't know what EOI like an, is? An, an in-school expression of interest. So to take a step back from that, um, as beginning teachers um, or temporary teachers or people trying to gain employment in some area or progress um, – I don't know how everyone keeps track of their day-to-day, -day, but if you um, have a diary, if you um, think about it, just putting a page aside, like one of those note pages aside, just writing at the top of it um, roles and responsibilities. And what I tend to do is I try and track all of the extracurricular stuff that I do throughout the year. So it might seem as something little, um, but even you know running a staff meeting or getting up and speaking in front of the school, Organising an assembly, bus duty, <laughs> it's a big one, whole school. Ooh, um, love a bit of bus duty. Organising specific stuff at a carnival, things that you you know do as part of your job. But Been in the bus duty for a hot minute now. Yeah, you hot are the bus minute. duty coordinator. Hot um, minute. 
Yeah, so just, you know, keeping track of all the extra things you're doing because when it comes to writing an EOI, we sort of get caught up in the fact that, oh, I've only been teaching for six months. You have achieved so much in that six months. There's definitely stuff you've got to talk about. And an EOI is usually only going to be maybe one to two pages. So to have that little list of things that you've achieved and then being able to expand on those is a really good um, starting point because sometimes it can little, it can be overwhelming to yeah, like, I think, start off fresh. I think as well, a lot of teachers, yeah, as you said, that they're like, oh, what have I done? It's like, you've done heaps, mate. You've done There's so, so much. much stuff that you would think, oh, but doesn't that's not doesn't mean anything. It's like, no, it does. Yeah, it like, definitely does. Everything and it's the you way do. you tell the story. So from that individual list, I'll try and break up the jobs into what suits the criteria. So if one of the criteria is talking about your communication skills, obviously, you know, if you've presented somewhere, you've got exceptional communication skills and you've presented to staff. If one of them is about, you know, whole school responsibilities and you're coordinating bus duty, if one of them is about, um, you know, your organisation of skills, if you've helped to run, you know, the athletics carnival. So you break it up into... But that's a, it's even things like that, like little things like you're taking a knockout sport, like... Yeah, that's organisation skills. Yeah, but that's a bit people don't, people just think, ah, oh, it's... A, you know what I mean? A lot of people just see it as like, oh, it's just something you do, but no, 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 that's the stuff that you need to include. Like, exactly. And you can tailor that to the criteria to exactly. show and meet that you've met these criteria. If you've been there for three months, six months, like... If you're diving yourself into the school and the extracurricular stuff there, you have heaps to put in. Definitely. So then I'd go from my um, dot points underneath to start expanding on what that actually means. So as you say, if I've taken a knockout sport, I've written permission notes, I've communicated with another school, I've communicated with parents, I've organized a bus, I've done some sort of budget, money, organized casual cover. So yeah, organized an stuff. excursion. If you've done an excursion mm-hmm. or... You know, if you organize an excursion or you have to organize the excursion package as part of your knockout sport, like, yeah, there's a whole heap of skills that you've done there. And you're who you're competing against. If it's an EOI for a temporary engagement, you're probably only, com- um, you know, competing with teachers of similar experience. Obviously, like, when I just went for that head teacher position, my... Yeah, it's a permanent head my, teacher role. My like, thing was, like, 15,000 words. So it's a completely different It's um, like, like the same of, like, going, if you're applying for, like... Um, permanent roles as a two or three year teacher like it's the same concept you can come up exactly. against somebody that's 50 especially in PE you yep. it's like if there's an open slather for permanent role in PE you can bet your sweet little ass there's 250 applicants and, and you got a lot of them have 10 to 15 yourself. years experience yeah. like so it's just the way it is little school EOI um get your criteria um, use your little list of roles and responsibilities you've done this year um jot down some points and then expand on those points with what you've done how it happened and why it was successful and try and tell a little bit of a story and there always should be a positive outcome to each story. It shows that what you've done was successful and that, you know, students have got some benefit out of it. And whenever you're talking, you're talking to the educational outcomes or the outcomes for the student, not why you're so amazing. So yes, you're amazing, but you're talking about what happened and why it was good for the school and the student. So that's how I would organise an EOI. Um, Definitely get someone who's more experienced, have a read over it. Even for little like silly spelling errors, when you're really tired and you're, you're writing it late at night before it's due 9 a.m. the next morning, just getting a fresh set of eyes over it. Will yeah, because they be take helpful. a like, they take a long time. They're wordy. Their page is long, yeah. and like there are going to be like someone to read over is critical. Like it's, you, very, it's yeah. so important. And it, it, even if it's just a friend or a colleague, they might not know exactly. It could be even someone outside of teaching. It's more just like a grammar spelling check, just to make sure that when the principal opens it up, the first thing they see is like the not the wrong there or something. Because yeah. it can just take away from all that hard work. That yeah, you've exactly. Done. You don't want to bring yourself down because you've got a misspelled no. word in there. And having a cover page ready to go, so you know, with your name, contact details, working with children, check, Nessa number, yeah. all of that. 
ready to go, a little bit of a blurb about your you know, teaching aspirations and your teaching philosophy. If you always have that cover letter ready to go, then anything that pops up like a year advisor job or... I think that teaching philosophy is so important, especially yeah. as a first, second, like as a still beginning teacher. It differentiates it, you yeah. from the bunch. And this sure. is what Elliot and I covered and what I covered as well on the episode talking about like a, the GRP interview and stuff, yep. you have like a, we call it a 60, 60 second pitch where you have 60 seconds, you just, it's pretty much telling you why, I'm, you're telling them why you're better than everybody else. 100%. And yeah. you need to, that's the same when you go into every other, you need to, like as arrogant as it might sound, you need to tell people why you're better than other people. Yeah, and I think the, when I first met you and we first became like good friends, um, you know, we had this conversation about the fact that, you know, there's, you know, a level of passion, dedication and, um, you know, that, that teaching philosophy, that reason as to why you get up every morning and go into a classroom. And, you know, it's, it's so obvious when that is realistic and it's so obvious when it comes from the heart. And I think that really differentiates people in that GRP interview, but, you know, it also differentiates in a normal day-to-day interview that you're doing in your school. And, you know, I've had friends in the past that, you know, have gotten really emotional in interviews and have even gotten to the point where they've, you know, got a little bit teary because they, you know, they love the school or they love the kids or, yeah. you know, they're so passionate about what they're interviewing for. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just really shows that, you know, and I think we all are, we're in it for the right, the, the right reason because no one's doing teaching for the money. Yeah, what do you mean? I make bank teaching, brother. Bank. <laughs> I make bank teaching. I make heaps of money teaching. <laughs> so much money. Um, but yeah, so well, then again, let's move into this, the second part. So obviously you prepared your EOI, you prepared your uh, resume and your application and all that kind of stuff. Now you're actually in the interview. You're, yep. gained, you're successful. You've gained an interview. Yeah. What are some tips to prepare? Because it can be quite nerve wracking I know for me... Um, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of interviews. Like I did well on the GRP one, but as I said and mentioned on that episode, if I could have cancelled that date, 100% I would have cancelled. <laughs> I was sitting at Blacktown Station just like, sh- like sh- shivering, like because you know you get those shakes when you're nervous, and I was just like, if I was if I could have cancelled that, I would have because interviews has just never been my strong suit because it's just I don't know what it is about interviews, but it's not my strong suit. And again, outside of interviews. You're really confident. Yeah, I'm Pub- confident. Like public speaker. Yeah, that like public speaker is not a problem to me. It's just when the thing is that interview setting that really gets me in the sense that it's so formal, and then where the GRP sort of relaxed me when it turned that how it turns into that conversation. conversation. That's yeah. where I was just like, oh, it, this is easy. So but I guess for me, um, there's like a, probably like three main tips that I would say. Um, being prepared is always going to make you feel more confident. So that's leading like up anything, to though, my the more prepared you are, yeah. the, you as there's a I don't know how to put this. There's, di- there's two types of confidence. There's a confidence that comes from being arrogant. prepared. Well, yeah, there's a confidence that comes from being arrogant. And then there's, and there's a confidence that comes from being prepared. Yeah. It's just like, like if I use a like a um, fighting example, like you see fighters who are very confident. You can they walk into the ring and they love it and they love themselves and they're just outward confidence. But then there's a confidence that fighters get from knowing that they've done the 12 week training camp. They've left no stone unturned to use a cliche but they've done all the hard work there's so there's two different types of confidence yeah. you can have confidence naively in just like ignorance and all that kind of stuff and just think blah 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 but they said the confidence where you come from being prepared yeah there's and nothing it, and like compares i 100 percent walked into that room knowing that i knew i could answer any question they threw at me because i had read you know every policy on the website i'd read science i'd read education papers leading up i had read um, you know, I'd looked into spe- specific things to answer really specific questions and I did. I had answers to every single thing they threw at me because I had spent hours leading up making sure that I was as prepared as I could be. Um, 
for for that for that specific type of interview. And then I think it was a very specific. Like it wasn't like a general. Obviously, no. it had teacher positions. It was it was different to your classroom teacher, obviously. But it was a very specific. Obviously, you said before the head teacher role was very specific. So the questions were quite. They, they were, there was like there yeah. was a question that said, um, "What are two professional development sessions that you would run for the team leaders in your school?" So like so specific, and I had already prepared my responses beforehand hoping that there was going to be something similar to that so preparedness is one two um doing practice interviews beforehand um with mock interviews man we've covered this mock interviews like i did one with a friend i did one with a friend last week it was possibly like the most nervous thing that she would have ever done it was with my actual kla head teacher and myself and she openly said that her real interview would have been absolutely horrendous if she hadn't done this mock interview. And it wasn't because she wouldn't have been ready or she wouldn't have known what to do, but it was just getting those nerves, butterflies, mm. everything out of the way. And then it's the whole process of an getting interview. to stuff up and make mistakes and then getting some feedback, just like what we do with the kids when they do an essay, effective feedback, mm. um, and then, and come back. And then the third thing that I would say is like my, my interview tip is, um, making, like yourself aware of what the possible outcomes are before you even walk in that room. So, you know, making yourself aware that, okay, you're either going to get this job or you're not going to get this job. You're going to be aware of the fact that, you know, if you get this job, you're going to step into this school and, you know, you're going to start really positive. If you don't get this job, even setting yourself a few little goals, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to ask for feedback. I'm going to look at my resume and where I can make improvement and I'm going to look to apply for another two positions afterwards. And once you've mm. come to the conclusion in your head real, that there's realism, only being realistic with it. realistic outcomes following this, you know, 45 minute or half an hour yeah, interview, yeah, it's, that's it. And nothing, the world doesn't end, nothing stops, no, everything keeps turning. And I walked into that room being completely comfortable with either outcome. And at that point, you really bring yourself down to the, all you can do is answer the you know five to seven questions that they put in front of you to the best of your ability. Yeah, I think you like we had this chat because you called me obviously when straight after you found found out that it was unsuccessful. Yeah, and we had the chat like again we had the exact same chat. I said like, what more could have you done to be prepared for that interview? You're like nothing. Nothing. What more could have you done in the interview? Nothing. To you know sway them. Nothing. Like yeah. you did as best as you could yeah. in the interview, and then that's again the realism of well, there's two outcomes. This is not a guarantee. And the fact that when you know that you've done everything you can and you still don't get it, it can be heartbreaking. Yeah. But, you know, it's to the point of you... I was relieved and I slept really well that night. <laughs> yeah, okay, it is a bit of a stress off. Yeah. But again, I guess this segue is like killing it. Because that segues into the next point I want to talk about because you're a massive proponent of growth mindset. Yeah. So this sort of, you know, that's the whole growth mindset is perfect for that in yeah. the sense that you did, looking at the fact that you did critically, you did everything well, yeah. you couldn't do anything any better, and you still didn't get it. Yeah. But, you know, in, you take it with a growth mindset, you take that as a learning opportunity. A learning opportunity. You, know, you take it as, you know what I mean? Yeah. You take it as a learning opportunity. So I guess for for those, I guess, if you're in the education field, you've heard of growth mindset. But if you haven't heard of what growth mindset is. Go and read a book. I've got, a, I got <laughs> go it right read, here. Go and read this book. Carol Dweck, Mindset. Oh. This book. So we I'm, didn't actually prepare this earlier. No. This is just what's on Liam's uh, coffee table all the time. There's also places we swim if you want that too. <laughs> yeah. But um, so growth mindset. Um, if you don't know what growth mindset is, it's obviously if you read the book, it's pretty in real layman simple terms. There's two mindsets she t- talks about: fixed and growth. Yeah. Fixed is obviously as the term suggests. It's like having a glass ceiling on your own yeah, ability to achieve. It's like a glass half full, glass half empty sort of thing to yeah. a degree as well. I mean, a fixed is, it's there. It, 
you can only achieve to a certain extent and that is it, you're done, that's it. Yeah, it's like I'm the only word, ever gonna get fifty percent. The in word an exam. fixed the word fixed is what it really is. It's can't change, it's the way everything is is the way everything is. Nothing can alter from yeah. that. So having a fixed mindset in terms of say Leah's interview would have been if she had the fixed mindset, she would have said, I'm just not good enough. That would have been the fixed mindset, whereas the growth mindset looks at a more of... Um, yeah, that was a learning opportunity for me. I can take so much away from it. There was so many positive points. Um, and, and again, it sort of gave me that drive to, you know, when the opportunity was offered to me to do this job for another three months, I thought, well, the only thing I was lacking in my interview was experience. Yeah. So, of course, I'm going to take on the opportunity to get another three months experience in this role because that's the only thing I could have improved on in my interview. And I guess... When it comes down to it, like you and I are super passionate about using this in our classroom and not just for selective kids and not just for low ability kids. We I think, think it's important, it's, you know, important in teachers too. Board. Like it's such a teaching is such a role where you it's just, such a roller coaster experience. If you have a fixed yeah. mindset in the sense of like, uh, my a, my seven L class can only, yeah, only half of my seven L class is going to pass this exam. Nope. Absolutely not. And I have to, I have got a really good example for how I've been using this with my seniors um, at the moment. And that's, I have two year 12 biology classes. I guess as well, before we get into the oh, yeah. whole growth mindset thing in the sense that, so obviously growth mindset is a big thing in the terms of you look at it in terms of challenges and changes, uh, they use as motivation yeah. to further progress. Yeah. It's, the was a really good TED talk on it by, I think her name's Angela, Angela Lee something. Anyway, she, so many she's a, um, she was a psychologist that turned teacher or something, but yeah. she, they define it as grit. Like everybody uses the words grit. Yeah. Like everybody uses, you know, you've got to be gritty. Footy players are gritty. This is gritty. You got to, yeah. you, gritty, it just means down and dirty and just perse- perseverance. Yeah, That's pretty much what it is. Hard. It's yeah. grit. Growth mindset is grit. Just being able to go roll the punches. And again, you're that glass half full looking at the positives yeah. of, all right. It's like that self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you don't think you're going to get there, you're not going to get there. If you do think you can get there in the end, like you can get there. Yeah, it's a little bit deep for me. Oh. <laughs> I'll just so, stick with changes and challenges for motivation. So in terms of how I've been using Star it in my class. Star awesome. Um, um, I've got these two year 12 classes. One's um, significantly made up of um, kids that were in our selective stream. One is the opposite. They were all my kids that were in my marine studies class. I love up. marine studies. Um, I'm becoming a marine studies teacher. Yeah, it's good surfing. Um, so the expectation that they put on themselves at the start of the year was, you know, we're the lower ability class. We're not going to do as well. Your other class is better. Blah, blah, blah. Classic and fixed mindset. Yeah. So we've been working really closely on, they've made little study groups in that class. They have been studying really hard. They're actually tallying the hours of study they were doing. Um, and I told them that I 100% believed um, that they could do as well, if not better than my other class because of the amount of effort that they were willing to put in, this idea of grit. So this was a skills-based assessment task, really small scope. There wasn't a huge amount of content, um, and it was quite difficult. And we got a really good bell curve across the year, the cohort, and so we had some really high achievers and some kids that didn't do so well. But my class of kids that think thought at the start of the year that they wouldn't do as well as my more selective class absolutely smashed it. Um, I think they got fourth in the cohort, fifth in the cohort, yeah, they improved their marks the exponentially. The boys. It is a class of the all boys. boys. Um, Timber boys. Yeah, they should have probably done woodwork. Um, but they absolutely um, thrived on you know getting this challenge, working hard together because they were doing their little study um, sessions at Waverley Library, and then um, got their marks back. And they 
the smiles, I couldn't wipe them off their faces. Then we did this little personal reflection afterwards. And they just said it was the change of mindset, like that they knew that they could do it. It comes to the fact that a lot of people, especially students and the ones that have been labeled or labeled themselves as dumb, if you want to use a lack of a better term, is the fact that I don't understand that the the brain, sorry, is like flexible it's plastic like plastic you know brain I mean? plasticity plasticity exactly right like yeah. your intelligence is can grow yeah, your intelligence 100%. can up and down you're not and this is the whole thing of the fixed mindset it's like going to the gym you're not going to get any bigger if you always lift the same way no, like that's if you what, put in more effort you're going to get more out in anything that you do in your yeah, life your brain's in a muscle the more you use it the more training, it grows everything and like to actually put this into action and to see this, see this work i'm actually doing an action research project through sydney Uni, and this is what i'm using as my project and to see it work firsthand i know it's an anecdotal you know yeah. it's, it's an anecdotal you know anecdotal story rules and, man. Yeah. but it's it's i know that it works and yeah um, i would encourage people if you don't know much about it and i think probably you should do a whole podcast on this as well like yeah, actually we'll sitting down and talking deep into how to implement this carol if you're listening Kaz, Carol. we'd love to have you on. <laughs> Carol, Carol's definitely not listening She's to not this. Listening. <laughs> She's definitely not listening to this. Um, so again, we sort of touched on it, but how how does a growth mindset, how can that benefit students? Like what's what are the big benefits, the major benefits that students get out of having a growth mindset? Or are you trying to inf- instill that growth mindset? I think mindset? It's, it's belief. It's really, it's, it's belief in the fact that, you know, just because you didn't get an A in science in your entire 7 to 10 schooling doesn't mean that you can't switch it around, start working hard and get something that you're going to be get a mark that you're really proud of in, say, year 11 or year 12 or the HSC. Like, it's about saying to students that I believe in you, you should believe in yourself um, and that if you put in effort, you will get results. And it's not an if or a but. It's a when you try harder, yeah, you will see results. That like I just handed back um, year 11's first assignments, and year 11's first assignments, and they, one of the students was upset because they got a 21 out of 30, mm-hmm. not a bad mark, but mm-hmm. like that was because they put in, they did put in a lot, a lot of time to it. Mm. They put in so much time to it, and they were just upset with the mark they got. But again, the growth mindset is obviously a, around rewarding the work rather than the result yeah and i don't know they keep saying like you know what i mean sometimes it's even good like in those cases like giving the feedback first before the number and saying you know this is where you did really well and this is maybe where you could have done a little bit better but i think you know we also need to say like that's a silly mistake you know if you looked at that a little bit in a little bit more detail you would have got there like so you still need to have those you know those oh, individualized yeah, sure. conversations about think, why something might have happened yeah but i just think like but, it's all about rewarding you know what I mean? As we said, as I said to her, it's the first assignment of mm. your senior schooling. Like, you're going to have another six or seven before you sit the HSC. Yeah. Like, the hard work is not for nothing. Like, it's putting value on that hard work. Yeah. We, and when as you the said hard before, work, it's learning lessons from when you do make mistakes and not making them. Yeah, you know, time. 21 out of 30 is still a good mark. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? Go back with the feedback, look at the feedback where you made mistakes and looking at those and embracing the mistakes as the motivation yeah. to get better next time and valuing the fact that rather than looking at it, I put in all this work and I didn't get. 30 out of 30. 30 out of 30. Yeah. Like... I did I, get 21. Well, yeah. look at yourself and say, well, you know what? I'd put in 20 hours of work into this assignment. I'm proud of myself for putting in that much effort because when I continue to put that much effort in... It will be reflected in my results. Yeah, it will be reflected sure. in the results. For sure. I guess let's... We're going for, what, hour and six now. Let's wrap it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, last question. So we've talked about growth mindset in terms of students and in the classroom and how it's beneficial. Yeah. I think... I know when I first read that book... 
a couple of years ago, it, it changed my life to a mm-hmm. degree. Like, yeah. I'm not going to, like, yeah, you know. It's, it's, don't go into it, but yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's just, the, I can, I go on about it and I read, I'm like, oh, I look at the back when I was reading the book, it makes you reflect on the amount of times you had a fixed mindset, and yeah. I still have a fixed mindset to a degree sometimes, but, like, you're never going to be, it's on the, obviously, on the spectrum sort of thing. It's, not it's a be, continuum, you're, for Yeah, sure, you're not yeah. one-on-one. And day-to-day, you obviously feel better and worse about yeah, things, yeah. But, so, I know that book, for me specifically, was something that, like, yeah, I was very happy that I found. How can how can teachers youth groups use sorry growth mindset to benefit themselves i know like say from my yeah. anecdotal personal experience the fact that just knowing that when i have a bad day it's just the day yeah like knowing and looking at all right why was it bad again looking at the mistakes and learning that using those all right i'm not going to make the mistake again using that mistake as the motivation to not let that same thing happen again yeah otherwise you know but there's obviously sometimes when i get back i'm just like oh this is never going to get any better. Yeah. So that's a fixed mindset creeping back in. So how how can we as teachers benefit from having a growth mindset? I mean, I think um, it's sort of like what we were saying before about that whole idea of having like a contact point or a person. Like I, when I'm feeling like I'm in a fixed mindset, I will, you know, I'll have a, you're probably one of the people that I talk to most about it um, or I will have a conversation about, you know, what challenge I experienced today and what I learned from it. Um, I think keeping a diary and keeping note of, some of your experiences is a really good thing as well. So looking at, you know, what happened, why you think it happened, you know, and there's something you just can't control in teaching. Like you can't control if the technology goes down or you can't control. So those little things that you really can't control. But when you actually are putting in the effort, you're, you're thinking about, you know, I can achieve this. I can get my kids to, you know, I can get 50% of my class to pass. I know the girl I sit next to, Jess, um, when she first started, she um, would set herself little goals with getting her mixed ability classes, like a certain amount across the line with passes or 70%. And it was always for her, um, it was not reflective of her effort. It was reflective of their effort. And it was about, it was reflective of the amount of motivation that she could bring into her classroom. So she used to set herself little goals to get her kids across the line. Um, and I lo- absolutely love that. And I, I think that's um, one of the reasons she's an exceptional educator. But I think for us, it's about, you know, making ourselves aware that our kids can feel like this. We can feel like this. It can creep up every now and yeah, again. Yeah, I think it's the best thing is it's changing your, obviously your mindset and your belief system yeah. and into a thing that's malleable and seeing that everything can be worked on and not having yeah. that, um, lack of a better term again, fixed Yeah, it's all to make mistakes. Like everyone yeah. is going to make mistakes. And as you say, like, and I think that's the one thing that people should take away from that is any any time it doesn't go perfectly to plan, it's always an opportunity for growth and, and an it's opportunity obviously for development. You know, in teacher well-being, like having this mindset will change obviously the, your well-being. Like if you have that fixed mindset, you think like it the kids are going to be like that. It can completely take away from your love of the job. Yeah, and your stress yeah. levels go down and stuff. Um, so I definitely think the best one, if like implementing the growth mindset is better, just overall staff well-being is massive yeah. in terms of your belief system changing and just just the way your your paradigms and how you view your position to start with yeah i think everyone should read that book <laughs> mindset carol dweck yeah get it dr carol we're not dweck. getting paid sorry carol him. dr carol dweck but yeah if you haven't read it definitely go and read it it's not massive it's pretty easy read as well it's easy I know, read. big font i know well i know sometimes i read books and i'm like what is this big word that they're using and i have to go and look it up and like it's like <laughs> they're using so many big words in the yeah. books and i'm just like what is going on here i get it you're smart don't have to cre- yeah, um, put it's these definitely b- an easy and i get to the end of the page and i'm like what did i even just read, read on a kindle because nah. you can click on the word and it'll give you I hate kindles. but carol dweck mindset is yeah. actually a really easy book to read yeah. so if you haven't do it haven't read it sorry and you 
you can see yourself being in that fixed mindset is definitely something to yeah. get involved with. But I think we can wrap that up because it's getting a long time here. So yeah. I guess finally got it done, third attempt. Yeah. So thank you for coming on. No um, if you haven't already, please subscribe to YouTube. Follow us on Instagram at Teacher Diaries Podcast for Teacher Diaries on Facebook. Again, we are now on the tunes. So if you like iTunes, you can download from iTunes and get us on there. Spotify, as always, please share, like, subscribe, whatever you have to do, whatever people say for this stuff. Just get this thing out there. Um, do you have a teacher's Instagram or just your personal one? No. Lee Nicole 90 is my personal one, but I probably won't accept you. <laughs> yeah. I don't, um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Ciao. Thanks for having me. Ciao, ciao. To the honeys, get your money, play your fellas like dummies. Uh. You got a gun up in your waist, please don't shoot up the place. Cause I see some ladies tonight that should be having my